We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, before we get into the podcast today and listen to Drew being a lunatic, I got to tell you guys about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Hey, mama! Look, it's Josh Allen! Hey, MVP is Josh Allen! Hey! What's wrong with Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait, do you think Josh Allen's the MVP, Stefan? 100%. Hell yeah! You thought I was about to say something else? That's my, especially my MVP. Um, it's, it's something special. And you see, it, it helps on plays where I'm scrambling. I just have supreme faith in him, and uh, he understands my ins and outs. And, you know, when I get out of a player, and, uh, <laughs> I hate you. Um, you know, that play wasn't what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It was just something that we ad-libbed, and we, we got that type of communication, that trust in each other, and I firmly believe that's because of the re- relationship that we've uh, you know built off the field. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And Mario Addison. And Deion Dawkins. <laughs> From the post-game interview on Monday Night Football over at ESPN.com. 
I don't even know what to say. Today, today feels like a special kind of day. I, I, it's just an incredible feeling. Chris, I don't know how to articulate how good it feels to be on the other end of this. Well, you're Puerto Rican, so we know you can't. <laughs> what? Well, we don't have good days. There's the pole. What? The climbing the grease pole. There's the, uh, the the festival. There's all kinds of things. We have a special guest to help us articulate exactly how just important this win was and what it means to the team. In studio with us, Mr. Nate Geary, WGR 550 fame. How are you, sir? I'm well. He's well, but he's he's rocking a mustache. Now, when he says he's doing well, he doesn't take into account the fact I'm that... thriving. That's the mustache of, like, a 70s baseball player. In fact, with the hat on right a now... A little, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does have a little bit of, like, a Raleigh fingers feel, no? <laughs> yeah. You do... You do look like you could a little throw Raleigh a fingers. screwball. Yeah, right, or like a knuckle curve. Yes. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, under a rock somewhere, you live in Iceland and you just don't, uh, you're not hipping with it, WGR 550, also Nate Geary of the Cover One Film Room, who does some sessions hmm. with Eric Turner over there, over at CoverOne.net. <clears throat> How's that going? It's going fantastic. We um, started doing them live because it's more fun. Um, otherwise, it, we'll be doing our, uh, on Wednesday, we'll be doing our Monday Night Football breakdown. You know, it's funny, I was, I was sort of lamenting, and I was saying this to Joe DiBiase last night, as I was doing my marathon radio uh, until 2.30 last night, <laughs> or, a.k.a. this morning. Um, it's funny because, you know, they obviously, they, they beat the Patriots, and they, they womp them. Um, I, there was shellacking, there was like a lot of words being used on what they ultimately did to the to the Patriots on Monday night that was so great to see and having said that just doesn't like it can we just get the playoffs oh big I'm done you're spent like I'm I would like somebody to work for me on Sunday (laughs) that's how over this you are I'm I'm ready for the playoffs all right look at this already looking ahead guys cheers the Buffalo Bills going to the playoffs just whomp to the Patriots as you put it Let's dive into the recap. Your Weep 16, the Buffalo Bills 38, the Patriots 9, and I have your stats of the game. Josh Allen, 27-36 for 75%, 320 yards, four touchdowns, no sacks, and a 138.7 rating. The Patriots' combined quarterbacks were 9-22 of for 40.9%, 78 yards, no touchdowns, three sacks, and not a single QBR to be had over 58. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, 9-11, of 11. 81% catch percentage, 145, three touchdowns. He is currently seventh in the NFL with 35% of the Bills' total air yards as a team. Josh Allen to tertiary targets, which by which I mean non-starting wide receivers. Five players, 10 catches on 11 targets for 90% completion percentage, 85 yards and a touchdown. Wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie. Four for four for 26 yards, two first downs, and he now leads the NFL in percentage of snaps that the offensive coordinator brings him on motion. Linebacker Matt Milano, eight solo tackles, one tackle for a loss and a sack. Cam Newton, season low, 54 total yards. Negative play differential. Buffalo, one negative play for negative one yards. New England had five for negative 27. And we broke five team records on Monday Night Football. Mm. First of all, no sacks. No sacks? What? what? 
This is Josh Allen football we're talking about. No sacks. No interceptions. No fumbles. He's just hanging out in the pocket all last night. Uh, as Brian Baldinger um, <laughs> said, he's like, just calm in the pocket. His feet are calm. Well, he had he's that, calm. He had that baldy breakdown today where Mitch Morris took down <laughs> two yeah. people. Well, what I love is you get the, you get the Patriots fans who are complaining that Feliciano might have been holding. First of all, you don't get to talk to me about holding after that ridiculous escaped sack that mm. Cam Newton was being applauded for, where Mario Addison is being held, held. two-handed yeah. by, the, no. by the guy who pulls him off Cam Newton. So, Chris, um, what do we, do we... Do we get Drew a Brian Dable doll? Like, what do we do... I don't know. What do we do to commemorate this season? Because I don't. I don't think there, there's probably a good chance Brian Dable won't be here next year. Yeah. And then, and then, who will Drew scapegoat? That is the question. Who uh, who will he scapegoat then? Well, I think I would think it's customary that uh, we would just go ahead and replace him with Sark. <laughs> you know, just just to keep taking the Alabama offensive coordinator. Yes. But listen, I would not be averse to that. All right, I would not be averse to that. But I'll say this, yesterday there was no scapegoating. There was nothing. This was the most relaxed game I've watched in... One week. In Denver. It's the most comfort I've had watching this Bills team since six days ago. See, you're so <laughs> confident, but you don't have my level of mania when it comes to this. And, and here's the thing, though. Before the game... Or al- like, blood alcohol level, either. True. My wife is going, it's an hour before kickoff, you're not pacing. She's like, I've never seen you this calm. Is something wrong? Did something happen? Did you get Who hurt fired? you? <laughs> Who hurt you? What happened? And I'm trying to explain to her, I just, I have a good feeling about tonight. And ultimately that paid off. That approach was a good one. Mark, you know, if we're talking about game watching experience, Mark shows up with a charcuterie board, Fig Newtons, some obscure brand of double bubble. Mark with a C. He's part of our game day crew. And a 12-pack of the new dry-hopped Jenny Cream Ale. Mm. I, the only way I can describe Mark is that he goes from classy to trashy really quick and then inevitably settles somewhere in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the right middle. Right down the heart of middle America. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and what I loved about the game was that there was no superstition-filled drunkenness. There was no debauchery. There was no yelling. No molson ice. Nothing got thrown. Just a relaxing evening watching us put a shovel to the face of the New England Patriots franchise. It was awesome. When you think about the... First of all, the team records that got broken. And when you look at the performances that led to that, Allen, Diggs, and Dable. You got Allen and Diggs. They broke the single-season touchdown record, the catch record, the yardage record... Dable broke, I, I credit him for this, mm. you broke the record as a team for the most non-quarterback pass completions. In oh, and, and not only that, but they were going for, oh. going for the NFL reception record yesterday. They were going for it. Andre <laughs> Roberts had a shot. Uh, who, who else had it? Taiwan Jones. Taiwan Jones had a shot. Christ almighty, Taiwan Jones. you got to come down with that one. Oh, we're going to talk about that here Hit in a little a bit. Chin. But... Let's talk about those three guys for a second, because I think that they're the key to everything that happened last night. Those three guys were probably the catalyst for everything positive we're talking about here today. For Josh Allen, now for you, as someone who watches quarterback film for scouting purposes in the offseason, for draft prep, you're pretty adept at auditing this kind of stuff. Things like mechanics, pocket presence. How much better, I mean, it's old hat to talk about how Allen's gotten better from last year to this year. 
But as this season has gone on from week one to now, how much better have you watched Josh Allen get as part of your film breakdown? Well, I, I don't know if it's a good question this year to use it as an example because I think he was good right out of the gates this year, but there, it's really less about like film observation and more about just general confidence that um, like I, I've been kind of joking around with Joe because um, he has stopped picking the Bills because he's so far behind. I'm 14-1 and one picking the Bills this year. Um, the only game that I did not pick correctly um, was Tennessee. Mm. Um, this team, you know, I, I think dating back to before about two weeks ago, this team had a certain like recipe to win, right? It was come out fast, get that second uh, end of the second quarter, um, almost full third quarter, a little lull, and then they ramped it back up and then ended up figuring out a way to win the game at the end. That was sort of the recipe for all their games. And then there was a couple weeks ago where they get behind, um, and I'm thinking of the Pittsburgh game, right, on Sunday night, and mm-hmm. uh, this Pittsburgh team that, you know, they're the second-best team in the AFC. This is this is a dragon you have to slay. Um, they have answered every single toll, um, every single test that they've been given along the way this year, and they've played difficult teams, and they've answered the bell. And I think the biggest difference between this year's team and last year's team, other than the wins, um, is they both got to 9-3. The Buffalo Bills, over the last four games, went 1-3. Last year in 2019, this year, it's very possible this team's going to sweep the division, go six and zero in the AFC East. Um, on top of that, um, it's very possible that on uh, if they win on Sunday, they'll end up 13 and three for the first time since their first Super Bowl appearance. Um, on top of that, like there is just a lot of things that 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 I think this team. It's been so interesting about them, but I think for me, it's been the confidence that I've I've sort of felt about Josh Allen week in week out is now. He's playing at his ceiling almost regularly. And, and, and I think the biggest criticism was we saw that first, those first four games, right? We saw that Vegas game, the Chargers, or the, um, the Rams game, um, obviously that first Jets game, and you're thinking, okay, I mean, is he going to throw for 5,000 yards and 45, 50 touchdowns? Yep. Um, and then you saw that, and I think Nick Wright has a totally viable out to say that a two three game stretch where they played Tennessee, Kansas City and New York, right? Those three games, Allen, you know, was thrown for 170 yards, a touchdown and a couple interceptions. He didn't really play at that ceiling that we saw early in the season. And then over the last 8 games, Josh Allen has played at an MVP caliber level that if he had played at over 16 games, Josh Allen would have out and, and sort of outranked Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes for the MVP. Like that's, I, he is at an MVP caliber level. He's playing top three caliber uh, level at the quarterback position. His and teammates just, seem to think so. Expectations. I mean, just every week, I'm sort of expecting him to post 300 yards and three touchdowns. That's just kind of his line now. So now, when I'm watching last night's game play out, and I'm seeing him fitting balls into tight windows, there was a throw to Dawson Knox. There was one of the completions to Stephon Diggs where he's covered. That's a man who's covered, but he's figures, hey, you know what, I'm going to stick it in there anyway because I know I can make this throw. The confidence that you're talking about, the tight windows, literally utilizing almost every player on the roster as a target. That's a new thing for Josh Allen. I mean, you saw him, obviously he's gravitated towards digs, which any quarterback would right. if they had a talent like that. He's absolutely incredible. But yeah. when you watch him throwing touchdown passes to Lee Smith, <laughs> and when you see him completing passes to Andre Roberts, and you're going, what the hell is happening here? What? Who? 
who's, who's orchestrating this? He's mechanically firing on all cylinders even when he's not in a clean pocket. Even when he's rolling out to his left. I think Sal Capaccio tweeted out kind of the breakdown, the overhead breakdown of how that touchdown throw to Diggs went. He gets no pass protection help from Zach Moss. So he's got two defenders barreling down on him. He's rolling out to his left. And as he's kind of laying out, he says, you know what, I'm still going to try to stick this ball in there. And just threads the needle. No, I mean, Stephon. tried. He just did. You know, the funny thing about that play, like that's that's a play you watch Kansas City run in the, in the red zone, where you've got the motion going one way. You've got, uh, it looks like it's rollout right. He stops, pivots, goes to the left. You've got all the motion. You've got all the momentum, the leverage of the defense going one way. You get him going in another. And I love, you know, uh, Brian Baldinger also broke that play down, talking about how that play is just a, Let's clear it out for Diggs. Let's get him one on one. Let's let him do his thing. And like, there's a couple plays where you're watching Diggs run routes that are unidentifiable. They're not routes. They're just I'm going to get through this <laughs> junk. Uh, I'm going to find an opening, and I'm going to make myself available for my quarterback because mm-hmm. that's just how good he is at understanding leverage and 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 getting open for for Josh Allen. But yeah, no, Stephon Diggs has been absolutely unbelievable to a point where. You know, I, I was looking at this because I was just really interested in it. But I don't know if you guys knew this, but last year Michael Thomas had 147 catches mm-hmm. and uh, like 1,700 yards, 1,600 yards, something, mm-hmm. which is just insane that, you know, he's basically 25 catches and 400 yards off that pace or 300 yards off that pace or whatever. But um, he is having an unbelievable – he's having a legitimate best receiver in the league type season at age 27 at right in the middle of his prime with a quarterback who's entering sort of his prime. But, like, the thing about Josh Allen that excites me the most is if he's entering his prime, this would appear to be a pretty long prime. He's yes. 24 years old. He's playing a brand of football that's sustainable. He's not taking huge hits every game. He's not lowering his shoulder and trying to run over middle linebackers. He's not trying to hurdle linebackers anymore. He's running out of bounds. He's sliding. But more importantly, and most, I mean, most important of them all, he is winning at an a at a overly elite level at a very one two like best guys in the league level. Mm. From the pocket and and off schedule. Well, um, that's I mean, it. When it, things break down, can you make something happen it's on a broken so play? So good. And it's the only thing that makes me feel like if you're the kind of person that says, "What if, what if this is all Dable? What if this is all Dable's doing? It's all scheme." And he's well, he he's comes a up with plays, quarterback like Baker when Mayfield. the play collapses. Right. There's Josh Allen. There's going, plenty hey. of evidence on film that you know once you know once the schedule of the play is called and and it's the you're in the mid play and things break down and the quarterback breaks the pocket. We know Josh Allen can thrive there, and you can't teach that. You can teach scheme. You can do what Baker Mayfield's doing. Who you know I've kind of come full circle on Baker Mayfield. I was a big fan of Baker Mayfield. Oh, and I don't remember. think he's particularly good. Oh, it's like Pepperidge Farm. Yeah. We remember. Do you want a secret? <laughs> do you want a secret? Yeah. Do I? Yeah, you always you. like five, but it's okay. It's you. your birthday. We'll let you slide. Uh, how many? What, what? What for? What's? What are my? What were my bets that I did? You bet a six pack that he'd be an MVP. Well, no, I know that one. But what about this last year? Did I have any of this last year? Uh, you guys, for you it? had a Bryce Hall in the Jets depth chart, CB one or two, but I think he was injured, so that was a wash. And then you had uh, Davis Webb instead of Jake Fromm, but we kept both. So that, but winner, winner, chicken all dinner. All yeah. right, but, all right. But we do have. I mean, I mean, I don't, we don't know what's going to happen on Sunday as far as who's dressing and who's playing. So, Davis you know, Webb is definitely dressing. He he dressed this week. So if you 
Too bad, you, uh, too bad you can't dress from and get him a touchdown pass because then that would bring that Seagram's. would that would bring it back. Yeah, that, that would, would bring, bring the Seagrams. One of the things that stuck out to me about Josh Allen the most from Monday, though, how good he looks in shorts. <laughs> hey, skies out, thighs out, man. You, you, he's got well, his thighs are out. He's got quads. Was I'm seeing a quarterback who at the age of 24 understands nuances to the game that you see guys like Aaron Rodgers yeah. exercise. The, hey, they have too many men on the field. Let's snap this thing quick. The, I know I can hard count this guy because I've watched him jump every snap. So I'm going to do it right before the end of the quarter. I'm yeah. going to hard count this guy and get five free yards. Why? Because I can. That recognition, that, that to me, that's second or third level for a quarterback. I mean, when you're talking about a young quarterback at 24, you're hoping they're hitting their stride. This is a guy who's operating at a level that you see from established veterans. Hey, I'm savvy. I know this. I That was the thing that I walked away from that game feeling the best about when it came to Allen. That and his leadership role. It was unquestionable that he was the guy. And he made some, just the things he did in this game. First of all, fearless. All three levels of the field didn't care, didn't care about coverage. Didn't care if his guy was, hey, that guy's covered? Yeah, well, he might not be when I throw it. <coughs> Screw it. We're going to lay it out there. Knox drops an egregious yeah. touchdown. Throw it to him again. Throw it to him four and five more times. Some, if you were Tyrod Taylor, you're never throwing to that Rod? guy again. You would forget that he existed. You would yeah. stop calling his number. I'm talking to him, and then th- for the next three drives, he's feeding Knox, trying to get him back in the game. When Beasley yeah, gets hurt at the end of the game, Josh Allen practically it looked it looked like a father son moment. That's how much bigger Josh Allen is than Cole Beasley. It looked like he was going to put Cole on his knee and ask him what was wrong. <laughs> it's just like a little baby. Oh, and then his teammates. That scene, like what you heard in the intro, not just wide receivers, but defensive ends and offensive tackles showing up during him blowing up his TV spot, sharing the spotlight with him to to kind of promote him as MVP. His teammates love this kid, and he doesn't care about the spotlight. He just wants to win, and he wants to have fun, and he's doing it. It's happening here. How do you not love that? Uh, there's not a there's not a lot of things you could point to in this season, in particular, of Josh Allen's that you'd be like, eh, you know, I don't absolutely love everything about this, but in this particular instance of how he's been received by his teammates, it was the one thing that. It felt like he had earned the right, like Baker Mayfield and Lamar Lamar Jackson earned the right from his teammates. He earned the respect of his teammates by winning an MVP and carrying them all season long. But I don't think anybody in their right mind right now, knowing what we know today, would would take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen. No, God no. (laughs) Unless you're Bill Barnwell. Unless you're Bill Barnwell. Bill, suck it dry. This is hilarious. Suck it (laughs) dry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, like that's totally fine. Um, anyways, well, what, what I was saying about Josh Allen is, uh, you know, the, the the teammate angle of this always. I, I said it coming into this season, and I talked to several people um, within the organization, particularly, you know, like I, I was talking about this with Sal Capaccio, who has been around the locker room for a little while, right? Guys that have been mm-hmm. around this locker room, Jerry Sullivan, I talked to you about this. He's been been around the locker room. Um, they do, they don't tend to give you lip service. There, there's there's no agenda. For compliments mm-hmm. for NFL players, 
you know, no one's doing it for Dwayne Haskins. No. Right? No. And it's not like Josh Allen was playing that much better than Dwayne Haskins. <sighs> Truly, his, his, his rookie season. He yeah. was not playing that much better than Dwayne Haskins. The difference of what he was doing on the practice field. What he, how he was trying to win his teammates over the respect of his teammates, and then by the end of that season, you know he had won and he earned the respect of his teammates. They go out, they get those weapons around him, and it's been this steady progression of the, the things around him have gotten better. He's gotten better. Um, the coaching staff has been you know consistent, and he seems to be just more consistent on it. So it's I think it's really he's a product of his environment. He's a product of competence around him. I think the offensive coordinator. I know. You know, we we joke around about Brian Dable a little bit, but I, like I, I think at the end of the day, Brian Dable is the best non-head coach play caller in the league right now. Oh well, I mean he is. It's well, just and let's talk about him for a second because it's very easy to see Josh Allen and see the hey he broke Jim Kelly's single season touchdown record, woo, and see that and go it's all Josh Allen. Which total sidebar, but Chris, did you ever think that we would live in a world where I would go from Naked screaming on a balcony in Jamaica about how much I hated the Josh Allen pick. Wasted. Beer in each hand. Mm. To you trying to leave my house because you're uncomfortable because I'm drunkenly gushing over Josh Allen. Was that was yeah. that was that this week? Yeah, you've come he's come full circle on it's you had Josh to change Allen. his pants. Yeah. Listen, I'm willing I'm willing to eat a lot of crow on that front. But I'm also willing to and I'll I'll do it again. Because I'm also willing to admit that it, he, it's not just him. Brian Dable has played a monstrous part, role in yeah. this. Now, the Greg Thompson bet that I made, Greg Thompson of CoverOne.net, the podcast that he does with Aaron Quinn over there, it doesn't look good for your old boy, Drew Gear. I made a bet with Greg that I would take him out to a white linen. That we made a bet that I was sick and tired of the Bills sucking on offense in the third quarter. Huh. And I said, you know what? True. Brian Dable is going Drew. to be the anchor that eventually costs us because he sucks in the third quarter, and this is the thing that's going to screw us over in the playoffs. And finally, I badgered poor Greg, who is a pragmatic man, and he doesn't like to argue. He's actually, he usually tries to defuse most sets of circumstances, but I wore him down, Chris, which you know I can do. Yes. Because I'm, I'm not a reasonable person. No. So no, I no, wear no. him down until finally it's 11 o'clock at night. You whittle. He goes, he whittle him down to a nub. And he finally <laughs> goes, okay, you lunatic. What is it that you want from me? What do you want to bet? Hey, we're not betting Seagrams. Put some real money on it or shut up. And I go, fine. White linen steak dinner. White linen steak dinner. They're going to Roots Crest. And I still think it's a Ponderosa. I figured, oh, and the bet was <laughs> that Brian idea. Dable's shoddy play calling and our lack of scoring in third quarters would eventually cost us a postseason game. And when we lost, he would he would lose, I would win. Since making that bet, the Bills are now plus eighty three. You know, in third wonder, quarter, Drew. I'm not even. You know, I know. I I know. Dable listens and watches the Cover One film breakdowns of of Josh Allen. Uh, maybe maybe you're his chip. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're the chip on his shoulder. He's like, that piece of shit from the Rockpile Report won't shut the fuck up about these third quarters. And I got a plan. I'm trying to keep the people off my back in the third quarter. I'm trying to lull these motherfuckers to sleep. And I got this guy in the Rockpile Report blowing up my spot. 
All I know. He's like, screw you, gear. All I know is that this isn't looking good for me. And so if there's any listeners in Ohio, because we haven't figured out if this is going to be a home and home situation where the winner gets to pick one in their own backyard, because I'll travel. I'll go to Ohio. But here's the problem. Nobody wants to go. To I'm going to need the, yeah, nobody wants to go to Ohio. I'm going to need the name of some good steakhouses in Cleveland if there are any. Downtown Cleveland has some good steakhouses. And I'll say this. Wait, wait. Cleveland's a nicer city than Buffalo right now. So let's just... That's going to go up there with your take about how they were going to make the playoffs before Buffalo. Cleveland, Cleveland never because okay. it, they're it's lake, nicer than Buffalo. Their lake caught on fire. You don't get to tell me that they're nicer than Buffalo. Cleveland, Cleveland Jimmy is Hoff nice. Jimmy Hoffa's floating around in the lake somewhere. We got dead bodies on our part of the lake. It's no big deal. That's all right. I mean, actually, I can make my peace with that a I'm little bit better you, than I can listen, with Cleveland. Listen, I love this city. I'm, I'm born and raised. I live in downtown Buffalo. Cleveland is three times the city Buffalo is. Wow. Very nice. It's There's very nice. You go check it out. Podcast. Go it's check it out, Chris. This I is I, most com- I I went to uh, Cleveland in February. It's like a real to city. Go to, yeah, I went to Hilarity. It's got big. It's got big buildings and glass. Yeah. And what do I need? Big street buildings? sweepers. Okay, but I don't need any of that. And you can't jaywalk. I don't that's need- like the true. <laughs> that's like that is right there. When you is jaywalk, that the bar. That is the bar. I don't know if you've ever noticed it. If you guys are big travelers, I travel a lot for work. But the last couple of years, and usually my barometer of I'm not in Buffalo when I get stared at for jaywalking. <laughs> like, oh my god, look at that! Oh, look at that d bag! Look at that guy jaywalking over there. He's ruining my day. Like that. That's that's what happens when you go to cities that aren't Buffalo and you and you just like cross the street on, on and just unambiguous. Like, have you ever just crossed the street in a big metropolitan and yes. people look at you like you're oh for sure the spawn of Satan? I, yeah. Like, like happens in Atlanta. Like you've like you've curb stomped their child. I got yelled at. <laughs> I actually got yelled at by a cop, but he didn't take at me. He just goes, "Hey, hey, what, what, what do you think you're doing? It's New York City." Yeah. He goes, "What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing?" And I looked at him. I go, "I'm walking." I'm walking here. I'm walking. And he was so, like, he started to approach me and then gave me the dismissive wave because he's like, this kid's an idiot. I don't got he's time got, for him. He's, look at his crooked teeth. I'm not, I'm not, I don't got time for him. He, his life already sucks. I'm not messing with him. Seriously. <laughs> but it was Hold one of those things where I was caught off guard and then someone told me, like, hey, hey, you can't cross the street until the sign says so. Well, who came up with that? Yeah, some idiot. Some idiot. But back to Brian Dable. Once again, called a creative game plan that kept the Patriots' defense on its heels for the entirety of the night. They had no answer for anything we we rolled at them. When yeah. we, here's what was impressive to me. First of all, as evidenced by the McKenzie pre-snap motion stat, he's moving pieces around on the offense to allow Josh Allen to see what the coverages are. You can try to disguise it. But when he moves McKenzie from point A to point B, or he brings a tight end around the formation. And it's not just a normal motion. No. He does a lot of really unique stuff with McKenzie that he's not just going a jet, jet sweep motion every single and time. And that's what I want. So, so for someone who watches film the way you do, explain a little bit of that to me. Explain like this motion that he's using. I mean, I know we talked about Sean McVay. McVeigh uses it in a way where, for years past, it was just eye candy. It yeah. was just something to throw off the defender so that he could inevitably open up the read he wanted Goff to take. This year, he started using the motion man. And it was early on in the season, it was devastating. And then later on, it kind of became something a little bit problematic. And now it's broken down completely. And I don't even know how, I don't even know what their system is at this point. It's not working. But when Dable uses these moving pieces, what are you seeing when you're watching the film? 
Like, how is he orchestrating that to benefit Josh Allen? Yeah, so what they're using is they're they're utilizing the straight-line speed of Isaiah McKenzie. He's the quickest, probably straight-line speed guy they have on the roster. Um, just they, they, they're manufacturing four to five plays a game where they want to get him ball, the ball in Isaiah McKenzie's hands. And I like that they've sort of incorporated him as their check down back. Instead of having a running back, they've got Isaiah McKenzie, who's kind of acting as their check down back. And uh, he's a good mismatch. And he's their, he's their fifth receiver, but he gets a lot of time out there because he provides a role that they don't really have another player that does. So I, I think, and I said this, I think it was on this show in September, right before the season started, we said, you know, who are the wide receivers going to be on this roster? And Isaiah McKenzie's not making this roster. What are we talking about? I was like, well, they re-signed him. Mm-hmm. They re-signed him because they knew that he had a role um, and that he was going to be on this roster. I think the one thing that, that – that, it's basically can we get the defender moving in one direction, get him on a flat foot, and then all of a sudden let's turn this into a, a sprint to, you know, to the pylon. And that's the kind of plays that they do. It's the sprint to the yard marker. Um, and and it's like just get Isaiah McKenzie the ball and you've got a full sprint and a guy that had a stop and start and you have Isaiah McKenzie in a full speed motion. Um, you know that that's how they can create some mismatches on the edge um, where this team doesn't have an edge rusher yes. offensively. What I mean by that is they don't have a guy that and a perfect example of it was on first or third and goal. The Bills settled for the field goal on their first drive. And they hand it off to Singletary. That's a zone stretch play that you need to have 4-4, four, 4-3 four, four, speed to just run to the pylon. Like and, a Daryl Henderson. Right. Like, be like a guy what the, that runs what the, the Rams pylon. have in Daryl Henderson. Exactly. Run to the pylon and force the defenders to run full speed at you. And um, the Bills don't have that on the roster other than Isaiah McKenzie. So they have to manufacture ways. I mean, he's not carrying the ball to the backfield. But they have to manufacture ways to get him to the edge because he's really their only edge weapon. How sustainable is what they're doing on offense schematically? It's I mean, incredibly sustainable. Uh, is this something that only works against poor poor defenses with poor team speed, or is this something that even good defensive units are going to have a hard? time What has impressed that? me is if you're going to run five, you know, six to seven defensive backs, the Bills are more than comfortable running the football. They'll just they'll run the football until you get out of those looks. Um, so they are very multiple. They can go from being a run pass or a run heavy team to a pass heavy team week in and week out based on what defenses are throwing at them. So I think what's sustainable about them is how um, they're able to sort of blend in based on what they need to do each week. But like this week, um, I mean, that, that's still a good pass defense in, in, in New England. I mean, they still have that defensive backfield that is very good. Um, and I thought he abused, used and abused J.C. Jackson on multiple occasions. Oh. He, he, lead, he, used to, he was leading the league in interceptions. So, um, yeah, I think for me what it comes down to, what, what gives me the most promise that what they're doing offensively sustainable is they're the, the, right now they're scoring 25, 30. They're scoring 30 points a game. Um, and they've got wide receivers who can get open. They're doing this without John Brown. Um, who a lot of us thought they wouldn't be able to do without. So they forgot got, he was here. <laughs> they've got they're they're going to bring John Brown back into the fold. Um, th- th- there's a lot of great things to think about and moving forward into the playoffs. But what's most sustainable for me is the quarterback, what he's doing, how he's doing it. Um, I think it's sustainable whoever's calling plays. So with that in mind, let's change gears here. Talking about Monday Night Football still. From a fan perspective, and just the meaning of this football game, I'll say this. I still remember Bill's Patriots on Sunday Night Football. It's a game I'll never forget. Tight end Kevin Everett, the player who almost died on a kickoff return versus Denver, 
delivers this passionate pregame speech on the Jumbotron. The fans are amped. The Bills are going to try to make this emotional stand against the New England Patriots' inexorable march to the playoffs. And what followed was something out of an H.P. Lovecraft novel. Mm. Like, it was a nightmare. And at no point did the Patriots ever let up on us. I mean, they not Do you only- remember 2003? Is that what it was, or was it... 2007. Yeah, was with, so, was with Randy only, Moss. Not only did the undefeated they, season. I remember. Not only did they hang 50... I was there at that game. Not only did they hang 50, but leading by 30 points, they were going for it on fourth down... And converting them. Yeah. And uh, I, was, I, was, I was in the stadium. I was about eight rows behind the New England bench. It was one of the first games I ever went to without my dad. I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and I remember definitely saying, fuck you, Tom Brady, a few times during that game. Of course you would. Of course everybody would. Because everyone around me was Patriots fans because we were on the low bowl behind the Patriots fence. That's, 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 that's Patriot Alley. You I know? get thrown out of that game, Chris. Yeah. There's no way I'd survive that. I was... It, I was 16. Yeah. So, huh? So, I'm lucky I survived it. Those Patriots were content not just on winning the football game, but embarrassing our coaches, our players, the fan People base. People don't forget. And the franchise itself. They, they set out that night to embarrass us in front of the entire country. So with that in mind, what we saw last night was incredibly cathartic mm. for me. And Takeo Spikes has the tweet. Congrats, Buffalo Bills. I would not have been mad if you had scored again. Hashtag still bitter. He understands. He knows. He does. He knows what it was like trying to play that Patriots team who just constantly found ways to dirtbag you and rubbing your face yeah. in the fact that they were a better football team than you. Did you have any emotion towards the game as it was happening? Yeah, Not necessarily in that way. Um, and you would think... You you would think I would, but I don't know. They just they did not pose a threat to me, and they already beat them. They I think they they, they exercised the demons they needed to exercise. And for me, there wasn't that emotional connection that I think a lot of people had with this. I was there um, for the Fitzpatrick game in two thousand and eleven. Eleven. I was there for that game. Um, I was there with my college roommate, um, and you know, like I. I've been there for the times that they rarely beat the Patriots. So it wasn't as big of a thing for me. But certainly it was nice watching them run the score up. It was nice watching Bill Belichick throw that phone. It was nice listening to Bill Belichick after the game sound like I was doing play-by-play of my recent shit. Like, that's literally <laughs> what it is. Okay, it, uh, it bumped in the toilet water, a little bit of splash up on my ass. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a residual there. Like, just that, that guy. See, this is what I love about you, Chris. We bring him in here because he's a smart guy. He watches film. He's, he's, he understands football as a science. Mm-hmm. As a science, right? Yeah. I understand football as a religion. Mm. And in that way, I'm a fanatic. And I'm not religious. And because I'm a fanatic, I'm also petty as hell. And this game, I, I rewatched it last night. And I rewatched it again today. And then, about an hour before I came over, I watched the condensed version mm. in Gotta 30 minutes. It. Because, it, Chris, I, we, we talk about a steak dinner. I don't know if Ruth Chris could serve me up anything better than this. It's going to be hard. Likely that, not. That Imperial no, Wagyu not. better be top notch. Because I don't know if it could top the flavor of this. Watching Cam Newton continue his slow descent into hell. 
uh, all that. Pre- I like Cam. I feel uh, bad for Cam. What? You get the hell out of here. I feel bad for him. All that preseason chatter about how, oh, he's going to take them to the Super Bowl. Yeah, Sorry, Bills. I knew that wasn't I knew that wasn't legit. From Jeff Schwartz. Yeah, who cares that about can, that fucking meatball? He, he can bite oh, my yeah, ass. You love, you who love cares can, about that grease ball? You love some say. Jeff Schwartz. He can bite the fattest part of my ass. Um, that's Honestly, that's really <laughs> nice. I, you know, listen, I'm a professional, so I'll keep it professional. But, you know, I there are a few people that I've had riffs with. I've had a pretty... You know, pretty public riff back and forth riff with Evan Silva. And me and Evan Silva are buddies now. Um, I will never be buddies with Jeff Schwartz. <laughs> He's, he is both, uh, he is, he's like the gym teacher in high school that is, just slightly old enough to be a gym teacher, but only a couple years older than all the kids in your class. <laughs> and he wants to tell you about, oh, he's super good in high school. And like, if I was only of the cheerleaders, <laughs> like that's, that is Jeff Schwartz to me. Okay. So I, for, for, I, I hope, I hope at the end of this, uh, you know, that your esteemed producer here, Chris, will clip this part out and use this as the promotion because this will bring the people in to hear me talk about how Jeff Schwartz is definitely the, the creepy gym teacher, um, you know, that, that definitely sells pot and does like he's just like I he flirts with girls that he yes. shouldn't. He knows he's too old. Yes. He's uh, not allowed near the girls lacrosse team. Like, yeah, he's just it's analysts like that that are just bums. Like the guys like Nick Wright are honestly they're shock jocks. But here's the thing. Dang, I'm he, he's just about the takes. I know. He doesn't believe what he's saying. That's my point. Jeff Schwartz does. Shock jockery. Jeff Schwartz believes He believes shit. every fucking second. Just every every ounce of but, bullshit. But so what? So hearing all of this preseason and knowing, having watched Cam Newton suck and be injured and be in, in, just inconsequential, I knew what this was going to turn into, and I'm happy to watch it happen because I've hated him since he, I've hated him since he beat Alabama and went on to win a national title in college. Screw Auburn. Screw you guys. Yeah, War Eagle over there with your War Eagle. Stu- with your stupid haircut. Oh, I want to fight you. I think that that makes me hate Chris more than his haircut is the fact that he roots for Auburn for no reason. My brother how, is how about a, the, a graduate they, of Auburn. So, I'm, I'm not I don't consider myself to be a fan, but if there's college football on, I would prefer to watch okay, the well, Auburn Scam game. Newton, he sucks, and I'm glad that we're all seeing it. Then, Bilicek, to your point, not only throwing the phone in, but frustration. But there's a moment. There's a delicious moment late in the third quarter. It's right after the Bills score a touchdown, and the defense comes off the field. And they're all sitting on the, standing on the sidelines and sitting on the benches. And the camera gets Bilicek from behind. And you can't see his face. He's standing with his back to the camera. And he's got his arms stretched out to his sides like he's about to bear hug someone. Almost like an exasperation. And even though you can't see his face, you can see the face on his players and the coaching staff. And it's like he's just yelling at the top of his lungs. The hell is going on around here? <laughs> what are we doing? And to me, it was one of the most delicious parts of the whole game. It made me smile. And then watching Leslie Frazier's defense dominate the line of scrimmage on bold, like just just push their offensive line around. After that first drive. AJ Epinesa's looked a whole heck of a lot better than he did early in the season. Oh, oh, yeah, Drew. Drew uh, mark down mm. another chapter of Drew's bad draft takes. Yeah, so, Drew, why don't you just keep having these takes? Why don't you just keep saying terrible things like, ah, oh, Brian Dable sucks. He'll never get anything in the third no. quarter. Ah, the Bills second round People, pick sucks. He'll never be anything in the NFL. You should just keep saying things negatively because they always end up being the opposite. This See? is it. So someone actually pitched the idea that we should start an anti-draft guide. 
and it should just be all of my opinions on, on players. guys that are just, just bullshit. Who will eventually be good because yeah, I don't because like them. Because you don't like them. Uh, but watching this game, there was so much there that you had to love. As a fan, as a long-suffering fan, you had to like the way this game went. Chris, we got a hand out of Hero and Zero. I'm going to start with the Zero of the Week, and that's Taiwan Jones. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Now, this was almost Dawson Knox, but the reason he doesn't get it is because he pulled his head out of his ass and had a hell of a game. He, yeah. had, he had that ridiculous toe-tap catch. That got challenged. That got challenged, but, but he did such a good job selling it that you couldn't debate it. Yeah. The refs couldn't overturn it. But Taiwan Jones, he had an opportunity to help Josh break yet another record for most individual players on a team to score a touchdown. Which and is, dropped. That's at 13 right now, which t- is tied with the 16 Falcons. And he dropped the most simple. I, Nate can catch that ball. Yeah. Nate, uh, you catch that ball. You can catch John, it. That was a piss missile. Eight times out of ten, you catch that ball, right? Uh, I mean... Taiwan Jones, eight times out of ten. Maybe like six times out of ten for me. Okay. This is part of my problem with it, and here's why I don't like Taiwan Jones, is because his presence here... Does it just disgust you? Special teams, he is he's amazing. He's a fantastic he yeah. special teams player. What I don't like is he does so well that the coaching staff gets cocky, and they say, hey, guess what? We could throw Taiwan Jones out there. Nah, don't want shh, quiet. We're just going to sneak him out there. It's going to be fine. No one's going to notice. It's going to be the smartest play ever. It did ever. work. <laughs> it did work. And then he, he can't execute because he's not an offensive football player. He's like Senores Perry. When have you ever seen Senores Senor, Perry? Senor. Senores Perry. <laughs> he, him out there, is, he, he does just well enough to trick our staff into letting him take reps away from somebody else who can catch. And it's frustrating. His presence to me is frustrating for that very reason. Mm. But if that's the only thing I have to frown about in a game like this, then I, I'd say we're per, we're living pretty high in the hog, right? Is that a saying? I'm it is in North Collins. <laughs> high on the hog. High on the hog, baby. Text it, Ryan Gates and ask him if that's. I don't think a, that's a saying. High that's on the saying. hog. Was that like your? I don't know what that means. High, like you have it. Like you're high up in his digestive system? No, like if there's a hog, if life is a hog, you're you're sitting on its back. You're freebasing the, the hog. <laughs> you're freebasing the <laughs> You're like actually getting now high off the, off now, the... Now that you're questioning the saying, I'm actually starting to... I'm starting to question its legitimacy, and I'm the one who used it. You're trying to smoke the bovine. Let me tell you, it's a bovine <laughs> creature. The hero of the week, Chris, head coach Sean McDermott. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again now. When you fail across the board, you blame the head coach because he's the conductor of that orchestra. And when the band plays a masterpiece, you look at the guy leading the charge and you go, okay, you did, you did a phenomenal job mm. because everything worked in concert. And that's what the Buffalo Bills just did. When you look at them in their totality over the last couple months, they're a Hail Mary touchdown away from being arguably the hottest team in football. They're 8-1 over the last nine. Five games of more than 30 points. More than 130 rushing yards in three of their last five games. One of the big concerns about the Bills, kind of like what almost shades of what the Steelers were talking about, a lack of 
a lack of rushing in terms of effectiveness. I mean, there was obviously a commitment by the Bills to rushing the ball in certain games, but it wasn't the most effective thing in the world. But over the last three weeks, we've watched them post back-to-back-to-back 100-yard rushing efforts. Mostly with the running back. It's not It's not the quarterback yeah, not driving the train anymore. Yards. When in the postseason rolls around, you need to have that. You have to. And the team is slowly finding its way Why? there. Why? Yeah, why do you have to be why do you have to in the playoffs? <sighs> because there's gonna be plays where you need fourth and one and they're gonna Why sh- are they different in the playoffs than they are in the regular season? <sighs> I just I just genuinely wanna know everyone always says this. Well, especially in the playoffs, you gotta be able to run the football. Well what's different about the playoffs that's not the same in the regular why. season? There's a pressure that doesn't exist in the regular season. Yeah. In that if you screw this one play up, this one possession could dictate the course of a game which ends your season. When you put that into the mind of somebody who plays the game like you did, sure, it changes the way you treat a play. And it almost it can affect your execution. So wouldn't you rather know that instead of being Patrick Mahomes and saying, okay, I know we can't run for fourth and one, so I'm going to have to try to make this ridiculous play like he did against the Dolphins, where he had the, I'm going to scramble and at the last minute off my back foot, throw for five yards to pick up a first down on fourth down to ice the game. You're either going to have to make a Herculean play like that, or you're just going to put hat on a hat, get a running back, and get one yard. But why? I I get the one yard, but I don't know. I'm I'm mostly just I'm picking on you. I'm nitpicking I know you a are, bit. Oh, but it's just it's it's something that bothers me because I've I've never actually heard somebody tell me why running matters, like why you have to run in the playoffs and why it doesn't matter in the regular season, but all of a sudden the best teams are starting to play football against each other and it's a single elimination where now all of a sudden you have to run the football. You should get away from how you got to the playoffs by going by having or being able to run the football. I think that every Tell team that to the Tennessee right Titans. can run the football. Tell that to the Tennessee yeah, but Titans. That's because the Tennessee Titans offense is built around a power running game. There aren't very many teams in the league that are built around a power north-south running game other than Cleveland, Tennessee and Cleveland are the only two teams that really have game plans, have schemes that are predicated on north-south physical, like we're just going to blow you off the line of scrimmage and we're also going to run you over type of guys. But like running in the playoffs is – and maybe it's maybe this is a saying that has happened because of the weather. Um, and, and maybe that's the saying. I think maybe that's part of it is because I look at being able to throw in – I think about places like Green Bay, Buffalo, Pittsburgh – when the weather's shitty and you don't know if you're going to get into a game where there's 20 mile an hour gusts of wind, Devontae be- Adams had 147 yards and three touchdowns on Sunday Night Football. So, and and here's the thing, guys, right? And and this 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 would indicate to me why home field advantage is important because, you know, if you are in the NFC and you're Green Bay, who are you going to play at home in the NFC Championship game if you can get there? New Orleans dome team, Tampa, yeah. Who else in the NFC? I don't know. Seattle? Maybe. Maybe they can play in that. But who's going into Green Bay? Who's going to Lambeau in January and is going to outduel Aaron Rodgers in the cold? That's what Aaron Rodgers does. That's the only thing that I want Josh Allen. Josh Allen's got to learn to be that. He's going to have to learn to become a different player in the cold, meaning throw the football differently. Yep. Like, take a little heat off the football. The one thing I've noticed about Josh Allen, well, and, and PFF will tell you this because – they put the stat out today. Josh Allen has the lowest percentage of non-catchable passes in the league by like a, per- a percentage and a half over like the next best guy, which is Aaron Rodgers. He's 
uncatchable pass rate. So 90% of his throws are catchable, um, which is just insanity. Um, like, But he doesn't have touch. He's going to figure that out. He does. Well, well I, I just think when, probably, when the weather changes, he's going to have to bring yes. it down a notch a little. Okay. But so that's something you can work on. But this is a true or false. This is a team that's firing on all cylinders. We They're the best team in the league right now. We just watched it. They're happen. the best team in the league. They were they they barnstormed a middling Patriots team like a tsunami. Now a lot goes into the players for executing at their various positions. But there's been one singularity, a constant over this crescendo that we've witnessed from this football team, and that's the attitude. They're hyper focused and yet loose. And you have to credit Sean McDermott with that. Bill's teams the last 20 years have struggled with the concept of maintaining momentum. I mean, that's evidenced by the fact that our current six-game winning streak hasn't happened since 2004. It's been since 2004 that we've strung together six wins in a row. That's how hard it is for teams without strong leadership, like we've lacked for (laughs) for the entirety of the drought, to really put anything positive together in that. You, you, think about that. You can't string one win together and two wins together without then having the letdown game where you play down to your opponent, even though they're a team you probably should beat. Yeah. Or they're a team where... Like, yeah, Denver, like Denver. You yes. come off that mm. giant Sunday night win and you think, okay, you're playing on... Short letdown. Let, yeah, you're gonna have letdown a letdown. People letdown kept game. saying that. Just kidding. And we went out there and hammered those guys. And then we come out here against New England, and everyone says, "Okay, well, it's New England, and you know they always have a number, and they coach well, and blah 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 blah." And we storm over them too. And you watch the demeanor of these players. Also, it's happening in prime time, which is the has been historically the Achilles heel of the Buffalo Bills. But it's also important that they do it on, on prime time. For I, I was talking about reputational wins earlier this year. Like, how do you, I need the Bills to win a game like they've won their last five? Yeah. And I, I what I wanted to see was wins like their last five earlier in the season. I wasn't getting them against New York. Yep. Against Miami, I, I didn't get those wins that I wanted to see where. They were imposing their will. They're doing the Patriots They were thing. unstoppable. We're in December. That's You're a, playing football that can't be stopped. The, everyone was scared to ask for it. Yep. I said, fuck that. I want that. Yes. Like, that's what I want. And if you're going to tell me you don't want that, it's because, A, you're scared, or, B, you just don't know that that's what you're supposed to want. Yes. You're supposed to want to feel like Ravens fans last year felt when you're watching your team dismantle a Miami Dolphins team by 50 points. Like You want to see that. You don't want to see a Bills team go into a one-win team and win by two, three, five points. Like, that's, that's what Kansas City's doing right now. I know. And and that's the that's the crazy thing is that Kansas City is playing the role that you thought Buffalo would be playing. This iteration of the Buffalo Bills under this head coach is dialed in, and they're loose. You see it. They're celebrating on the sidelines. They're they're all having a ball playing football. But when it comes to executing, unlike John Gruden out there in Vegas, who those guys can't they they wouldn't know their ass from a hole in the ground. The, 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 he's yeah. he's Rex Ryan two point, Rex Ryan with the Buffalo Bills two point in terms of coaching a team to execute from the coach from the position coaches to the coordinators to the players everyone in this in this building is dialed in and they're playing the best football I think we've seen in the last maybe thirty years yeah Nate it's it's quite impressive to see Drew come around 
on Sean McDermott here, giving him the hero of the week, because I could probably count a little more than five times on my hand where I've heard Drew on a Sunday use Sean McDermott in the same sentence as Dick Duran. Timothy McVeigh. Dick Duran and Sean McDermott, same sentence. So as we walk away from this, final thoughts about the game before we move on, close out the show. My father texted me. Now, this is the second week in a row where my father has sent me a text at the end of a football game, and it's just kind of almost brings a tear to my eye. Drew, I'm never been more disappointed in you, but I'm so, (laughs) so happy about this Bills team that it's made me forget about all the disappointment. At 10.02, 10.02, so it's still pretty, I mean, there's still game left. My dad texts me and goes, the Bills are bad motherfuckers. (laughs) And I laughed, and I go, they're putting everyone on notice, and Diggs is a monster. He responds, even I am starting to believe. And for me to say that after having had my heart broke four times is really saying something. Now, Nate, there's obviously guys like Chris and I who are sick. We're masochists. We've learned, we've learned how to just absorb the abuse that this football team has been capable of doling out to people who don't know how to emotionally just detach themselves from it. Yeah. It's like they think Mickey said it, Rocky. You're gonna you're gonna chew lightning and crap thunder. You're gonna chew lightning and crap thunder. That's what we've been doing for the better part of twenty years because we're stupid. We're putting our heads on and just running into a brick wall. And you don't have Pepto Bismol. And then there's everybody else. The bitter, the jaded, the people who are gun shy, the, the the unimpressed among us here in Buffalo. The unemployed. The unemployed. <laughs> who either couldn't bring themselves at the start of the McDermott era to get back on the bandwagon or were never even close to it to begin with. Drew, there is, uh, on that, we should play it for Nate. I loaded it up. Okay. Well, I'm not like fans. I walk in here and one of the fans said, Jigster, I kind of like the guy. I mean, you don't even know him. And, oh, I kind of like the guy. Sorry, I'm the, I I'm, like I'm him, the universal, and you like do him. too. Like, I'm kinda a universal like skeptic. Hey, I'll give you a quick, quick synopsis. 2001, my first year as the Bills' full-time columnist. Replacing the great Larry Felser. A 42-year-old defensive coordinator, rising guy with a good resume, had just lost a Super Bowl, comes in. Guns blazing. Everyone likes him. His name was Greg Williams. Mm -hmm. All right? So I feel like I've come full circle on this. And, you know, I don't really care about his defensive statistics, and they're already being spun more positively than they should be. It's it's just another Bills coaching hiring that is very uninspiring. And the bigger picture is he's walking into a bad situation with a weak general manager and a bad salary cap situation, much like Greg Williams walked into and went 3-13 and because Don O had, as he would tell you, he was left with a pile of, of you know, big contracts by John, the late John Butler. And that would be the situation if they had done the right thing and hired another general manager instead of Doug Whaley because he's putting McDermott's walking into a difficult situation. Jerry Sullivan, when we hired Sean McDermott, I will play that anytime somebody questions what McDermott's done here. Have you guys ever had Jerry on the show before? No. No, no. We've re- I've actually reached out to him once, but it wasn't even to have him on the show. It was just to pick his brain about something. I'd like to talk to I'd the be man. Happy to, I'd be happy to connect you guys. I would like that, because I'll tell you what. I've actually grown to understand more about him, just in terms of the, the role he played here. Now that he doesn't hold it, mm-hmm. you almost wish he was still here. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like when you lose, it's like when you lose a villain, and then you're like, "Wait a minute, maybe he wasn't the bad guy." But in any event, 
in your time in radio and podcasting and interacting with fans and callers, is this the most optimism for this team that you've experienced in your professional career here? 2015 is close. 2015 is close. Um, it was my first real year on the radio. Uh, it was the first Rex Ryan season. It was Shady McCoy. It was Tyrod Taylor, Percy Harvin, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, um, Mario Williams. It was uh, the it was onset like, of this podcast. That's was, what. That was the impetus of all of this shit. It's, it's, <laughs> it was that season. Um, but... You know, obviously that season didn't end this way. And I think the expectation and the level of confidence that exists comes from a level of trust that's been built over a couple of years. This isn't something that's happened. You know, this isn't a fly-by-night thing. This isn't, uh, the Bills are catching lightning in a bottle and, you know, nobody really thinks this Bills team is here to stay. This is sort of like the 2015 Kansas City Royals team that... I fell in love with my baseball team, right? Like that team had an assembly of players that was never going to be able to be re-signed and kept together based on the small market team that they had. This was their two-year window to win a, uh, win a World Series. And when they didn't win it in 2014, I was devastated. I, never in a million years that I thought they'd get back to it the next season and then ultimately win it. And I feel the same way, or I feel sort of the inverted way about that that I do about the Bills because I knew that those two seasons, like that was it. And they have been right back to being the worst team in baseball again. And all of those players are gone. And they're all still probably out of their prime by now and playing other places and doing well. But my the moral of the story is when you look at the Bills, you see a team that's built for the future. Not only that, but you've seen a team that's going to make the playoffs three out of four seasons. You're going to see a team that's got... Coming off a 10-win season after a 9-win season their first year. Taking a step back, that 6-10 and 10 season was, I think all of us were prepared for that. But it's the equity that has been built within the organization. The decisions that have been made by Brandon Bean and collectively with Sean McDermott. The way they've approached the community. The way that they've indoctrinated themselves in Buffalo and... You know, each of those guys now sign long-term contracts are going to be here for a long time. And it's really what's great to feel is when you turn on the TV and you turn on ESPN that they're not talking about your coach because he ate dog biscuits. You're not talking about your coach because he wears a Clemson helmet after games and talks all this bullshit and is an embarrassment. And is really trying to basically you you put up with these He's people. He's lampooning his way into the spotlight. You, you put up with these people because you want spotlight and you're sick of being the wide right and you're sick of being, you know, all of this bullshit for the last 20 years of what your team has been known for, the Billsy shit. Well, now Cleveland's losing in Billsy ways. The Steelers are winning in Billsy ways. The Bills don't lose in Billsy ways except for the Hail Mary. That was Billsy as fuck. But, um, <laughs> uh, but what, ultimately they what I one say in, right? they got to get one in every year. They, they've built this, this, this program with the right way, with respect and with trust and with – the people of this city in mind, and you know, I, I know Booger McFarland was talking about this on um, on Monday Night Countdown yesterday, before I went into the station, and you know, they they built this roster with guys who, you know, one way or another, feel like they didn't get the they didn't get the right shake in their previous stop. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. Um, I mean, these are players that Quentin Jefferson, who was a depth player, who's turning into a really nice piece. Vernon Butler, depth player, turning into a really nice piece for this team, right? Um, Mario Addison, sort of an afterthought. He's in his mid-30s. What is this guy going to So they've just got this team full of... They don't need to manufacture the chip on the shoulder. They don't need to manufacture the underdog mentality. Their whole roster lives within it. Everyone 
berated the Bills. People said that he was a uh, what? What did Aaron Schott say about Josh Allen? That he was a um, oh god, Josh Allen probably has more. Right, he has more that's what I'm saying. They, they bulletin board material than any quarterback they built in the NFL. This roster with guys who had their whole life been told no, there were, or they got to the NFL and they told they weren't good enough to be in the NFL and they weren't good enough to play. They weren't good enough to start. They weren't good enough to be all pros. This is a team that's built around that mentality, and that's why they're so dangerous going into Kansas City in you know in the middle of January because Kansas City's already won. And you can't manufacture a chip on your shoulder. Like, you just have to have that. You have to have that within your building. And even until this team wins a Super Bowl, then I'll worry about how they'll figure out their way to motivate and how how Sean McDermott's going to change gears from being the team that... You know, is manu that doesn't need to manufacture this chip mm. to a guy that needs to figure out ways to motivate his team. That this organization, even though Jerry Hughes is the only guy that's been here for this long, all of them wear the burdens of the organization. All of them wear the burdens of our community on their shoulders. Whether you're a first year rookie or you're Jerry Hughes, you feel the same way about your responsibility to this community and and to winning football games and what it means to be a Bill. And I think there's a level of pride in this organization. That it's a program with with that you're proud of, like the the Ohio States, the Alabamas, like it has this sense of pride to it. It's not just a crazy fan base who gets shit faced and, and goes through tables. It's it's a it's a community that follows a team that's respected, that is respected because of the things they do on the field and the way that their their coaches and the people that had the organization conduct themselves off it. I mean, we were an organization that Jason Lacanfora would lick his lips because he knew he was getting bullshit from Doug Whaley to sell to the people on his papers. This is the tightest ship I have ever seen in pro sports. There is no leaks that come out of this organization. From top to bottom, it's professionalism. It's awareness. It's just competency that oozes from every ounce of the building. And you know what? You know, the one people, the, the two people we have that just, I, I've been on the show Several times we've never given credit to the, to the Pagulas, but the Pagulas finally found Sean McDermott. They found their guy, and when they finally found their guy, and then they found their other guy, and Brandon Bean, they fully trusted what they were doing, and because of that, they handed the keys over to very competent people that steered this that steered this organization in the right direction. And I think that's part of the reason we all have this confidence is because the competency, the level of like care the small details like it's like having a significant other and they just remember all of your favorite things and they do little things for you like there's always this this level of we're keeping in mind what's important which is winning football games but we're also keeping in mind the effect that what we do has on this community and there's just this level of context and understanding of people like they've lived here their whole lives and they haven't. They're implants. They're you know they're they're people that didn't grow up in this community that we all view as part of us because of the way they've approached it, because of the way that they worked. And Josh Allen sort of embodies the whole thing as is, is this unfinished super has all the potential in the world, and that's sort of what the city of Buffalo is. This this all the potential in the world. This this real estate that is just undeveloped that no one's taken the time to care and put the the man hours into. And they did that with Josh Allen. And now we're reaping the benefits of that. We're seeing the fruits of that labor. And I think it goes for a lot of people, you know, Sean McDermott, like all these people sort of embody 
who we are, who we all know we need to be in order to be Buffalonians. And so that led to the most delicious moment of last night's game. It wasn't the touchdowns. It wasn't the way Josh Allen just barnstormed their defense. It wasn't the way that our defense made Cam Newton look like an ass. Or the way that in his post-game press conference, Cam Newton, my wife asked me, is he melting? Because every time they would ask him a hard question, he would start to slouch a little bit farther and a little bit farther. Like he did in GIF earlier. A little bit farther. Until eventually, yeah, it was like he was sliding out of his chair. Like he wasn't wasn't even a salad anymore. He was more of a liquid. Mm, Been there. Bill Belichick is a known curmudgeon. Sure is. Before the game, he defiantly told the press that he wasn't buying into the I'm hype not, about Josh not Allen. Not that excited about him. About yeah, that. I'm not that excited about I Josh Allen. We shut him the fuck down last time. Yeah, and then he was salty after the game when people questioned him on that. Belichick doesn't gush over anybody, and we've watched him. Okay, he doesn't praise anyone, and we've watched him multiple times sulk off the field rather than go shake his opponent's hand. Mm. He's done it to Pete Carroll multiple times. He's done it to... If you beat him in Foxborough... Speaking of sucking dry. (laughs) Yeah. He he sucked McDermott dry. So this was it. There's so many times where you've watched him lose at home and he sulks his way off the field rather than go give his opposing coach his due. Even just a tip of the cap or a, a quick handshake and he runs away. The landmark moment for me in all of this wasn't the win itself. It was the rub and tug at at half field. It was watching Belichick. I mean, an embarrassing, obviously frustrating loss for Bill Belichick professionally on a national stage. He not only sought out Sean McDermott for a handshake, but gave him what looked like a hug you would give a family member. Someone you haven't seen in a long time. And it wasn't a casual embrace. He pulled McDermott and walked arm in arm with him two-thirds of the way off the field. It was until finally McDermott had to be like, listen, I got to go to the locker room. <laughs> I got I to gotta get out of here. You're, you're creeping me out. To me, that's a man whose ego prevents him from even acknowledging something like, hey, this Josh Allen kid, he's playing really good football. He was so humbled by the performance the Buffalo Bills put on, that he had no choice but to go over to Sean McDermott and congratulate him. To to acknowledge him as a peer. That's huge. Because that's the highest praise you might ever get as a head coach in the NFL. Correct? Yeah. To have someone who's a first ballot Hall of Famer excited to see you after a game because they're enamored with the job you did and the job that you've done resurrecting your team from the tire fire that it was to turning it into this machine that just mauled him and his team alive. Do you guys want to go to the real-time audio? I think I have a... I think if you guys want to play, I, I can play the audio between um, yes. McDermott and, uh, and, and Belichick right now if you hit, want it. Hit me with it. Okay, ready? Yeah, Sean, you did such a great job out there. You know, I... Uh, I, I got to say, you know, we, we had the film crew uh, out here early. They were filming all of your plays. And I'll tell you, I'm just I'm just I'm I'm impressed that you were able to get over the fact that, you know, we, we filmed you guys all your plays and your and your your hand gestures. It's truly a uh, it's an honor being beat by the best. Uh, thank you, Sean. I, I, I really, really, really great. Great job. Great job. Great job. Great job. All right, there was. Uh, that was the right at midfield. So there, that that sound that NFL.com doesn't even have. <laughs> no. It's good. Do you want his opening statements? Yes. All right, here it is. 
Yeah, well, it's, uh, it was obviously a good performance today about Buffalo. Um, they've got a good team. They're well coached, and you know, they played well, uh, well tonight. And um, you know, we just weren't able to do much um, in any phase of the game. They outplayed us all the way across the board. Outplayed us and outcoached us. And um, you know, they they did a good job. They're a very good football team, and um, you know, it's, we can see why they're the. You know, the AFC East champions this year. <laughs> they deserve to be. <laughs> That's my point. Right there. Belichick. That is what a passing of conference. the torch looks like, boys. So that, that's what a taking of the torch looks that's like. That's my point. That's what it looks like when you take something by force, and that guy, that guy has no choice but to recognize you have, it. You, and you guys Raise fr- a glass. And you Everyone guys, in the um, room. You guys like Cheers. Friends? You guys watch Friends at all? No. Me either, but I know there's a good gif of um, when um, what's his fir- what's his what's his first name? Schwimmer, David Schwimmer. Yes, he does this thing where he yes, like where it's the sort fist of, together, yeah, it's like and- a fist together, and like a fuck you. By the way, I don't know uh, if you guys have like somebody that goes back to do these and uh, what what is it called when you write up the podcast? You yeah, topography. What is it called? Doing a show summary. No, that's weird writing. You're talking about a stenographer. Uh, maybe. Uh, anyways, uh, this is probably the most I've cursed on the show in a while. Maybe I like ever. It. Yeah. I like it. Thank God we're on a network. I'm a fan. I, it's, you know what it is? It's the mustache. It really is. Yeah, you know, I turn into a dirty trucker. <laughs> Ultimately, folks, the Buffalo Bills just dominated a team and took respect from somebody that they had to in order to get over this hump. And you have to, Chris. It's it's a credit to our head coach. Yeah, it's incredible to watch happen, and it's a it's it's a landmark moment for Bills fans everywhere. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The NBA is back in action and football is heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. 
Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at Bet Online. Online.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So now that we've broken all of that down, we've we've dragged we dragged all of that out. We still have the future in front of us. And this week 17 matchup with the Miami Dolphins, I really don't want to give it any more thought than we need to, considering how this team is playing and the state of things. So, Chris, what I want you to do for me. I want you to put 10 minutes, 10 minutes. That's all I'm willing to give this. Nate, I want to pick your brain about week 17, the Miami Dolphins at the right. Buffalo Bills. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Bill Stadium, Orchard Park, Western New York. Kevin I'm, Harlan and Trent Green. Kevin Harlan and Trent Green. And the line is unknown because Vegas has pulled it, given the circumstances. This is where I defer to you. Sports genius. Uh, that, that's Radio me. guy. Yeah, that's me. Start him or sit him. I mean, with the news today that despite being in the race for the number two seed with the Buffalo Bills, the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing what I think feels like a punting <laughs> in benching Ben Roethlisberger and starting Mason Rudolph at quarterback. The question has to be asked, what's the smart play here for the Buffalo Bills? Do you start your team with the intention of winning this game and icing the number two seed and guaranteeing yourself at least two playoff games if they're there to be had at home without having to travel? Or do you protect the health of your franchise? It's a really tough question, and I will fall on the side. Um, This is such a cop-out. I fully trust the coach on whatever they ultimately decide to do. I I, I really do. I, I want 13. I want 13 in a weirdly, like, a. I want 13 wins. Okay. Like, I want them to finish season with 13 wins. I want them to go into the playoffs on a hot streak. I want them to be the hottest team going to the playoffs. Not the team that, like, you want to know my perfect scenario? Monday night. Josh Allen's out, out by mid-third quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's because you're just fucking romping the Dolphins. Who, by the way... They're off. At, they just they're depleted. They've got nobody. They've got no weapons left. Well, this is it. Take who care of business? And let me tell you, I am so sick and tired of hearing about who good the Dolphins' corners back cornerbacks are. We saw both of them in Week Two, and they sucked ass. Well, listen to this matchup. Yeah, their defense comes in with a pedigree, but those stats are conflated when you look at their performances against legitimate contenders. Five games against current playoff teams this season. The Dolphins are 2-3, and three, and they've allowed 315 or more passing yards in every single one of them. In fact, the average is 352. They have failed to hold any of the current teams in the playoff field that they've played this year under 23 points. Their offense with two at the wheel, which seems like what they're content to do, doesn't score more than that. that that's just not what they do. Yeah. And also, for all the talk about how dominant they are against the pass, they're not in top 10 for air yards against. They're actually just a few spots ahead of Buffalo. That's it. 
In fact, Buffalo might have leapfrogged them with their performance on Monday night because I dug that stat up before the game. Listen, I do show prep. No, I know. So my point is, they're not the scariest thing in the world if you can throw the ball the way our quarterback is doing it. Of course, if you're a mediocre quarterback, you're going to struggle against good cornerback play. But how many times have we watched Trey White? Trey White's an all-pro. Trey White's a pro bowler. Yeah. Trey White wasn't enough for us to beat the Patriots. Trey White wasn't enough for us to beat Patrick Mahomes. Why? Because that offense was just better than ours. Well, that's what the that's what the Bills are dealing with. Right. So you have two lines of thought. You can chase the two seed. It lets you avoid matchups against Baltimore and Tennessee, which I think is important for reasons we're about to discuss. And home field advantage. Even if fans can't attend, you still don't have to travel, which yeah. is big for your team for just continuity purposes. On the other side, you protect player health. Beasley gets nicked up at the end of this Patriots game, and he's week to week. I'm hoping that's a singular week. I mean, I don't think they need him to beat the Dolphins. Yeah, probably not. I... But then you think back to the, okay, go back another week. Denver. Diggs gets hurt at the end of that game, and Trey White's rolling around on the ground holding his shoulder. Thank God it was just a stinger. But everyone's butthole puckered just a little yeah. bit. This is what you're flirting with now. Because you know you're in the dance. You know you control your own future. How many hits do you want to subject your star players to? There's an argument to be made for both cases. To your point, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Chris, what do you think is the smart move? Oh, God, you're asking Chris? Yeah. Yeah, I want to hear Chris's <laughs> opinion on this. I think you play that beautiful singer and blonde-haired quarterback, Matt Barkley, <laughs> the whole game. Did you hear him on 12 Days of Christmas? Was no, he the I only wanna, one wanna, to carry a tune? He's like Fergie and Jesus. He <laughs> was pretty good in that. No, I I really appreciated them going with the Christian Wade yeah. for the Tuttle Doves. Two Tuttle Doves. <laughs> and like they did, like that, good for them. Your predictions this Sunday. Chris? Oh, I think we're going to play backups as of right now. I mean, we don't know yet, but I'm thinking McDermott goes backups, and I think it's going to be a – I think it's going to be low scoring because if Tua is going to start, this might be the first time Tua has ever seen snow. (laughs) This would – that would be – oh, I have a stat for you. Tua has never – Ever played in a football game under 48 degrees. Ah, yeah. 48! Welcome to Buffalo. Yeah. He's, and that's why home field advantage yeah. is important. I'll take I'll take Dolphins win 17 to 13. Mr. Geary, which tact 14 and 1. 14 and 1. Are you willing to put that on the line here? I'm gonna take the Dolphins. Okay. You're taking the Dolphins. If the Bills win, I'm going to take the Bills just so I can be on the other side of you. One of us is drinking a Seagram, sir. Cheers. All right, that's fine. Chris, what do we do for time? Seven minutes. Oh, look at that. Boom. What did I tell you? I want to talk about the AFC playoff field preview because that means more to me than any of this. It's been a long time for Bills fans, and it's never happened in the lifetime of this podcast that the Buffalo Bills have had some kind of security about where they stand. We've, we've never had that. We've never been able to sit here and talk about, well, we might play this team, but we might play that team. And maybe if we let this team win, we could face X, Y, and Z. For, 
We've never gotten to have these conversations, which tells you how bad our football team has been. So sitting here, kind of breathing in this rarefied air, I thought it might be interesting to just kind of pick your brain, sir. Me? Yeah, you. You. The, the guy with the you buffalo. Want to pick, you want to pick my brain? Your hat says the word buffalo on it, and it's, it's interesting to me. Do you like it? Where did you get this? My buddy, uh, the logo on the side here, Buffalo Golf and Social. Okay. So he made his own. He's got he's got a lot of great apparel there, by the way. Yeah. Um, Is he the guy that videotaped you missing that putt that's now a GIF? It's only a GIF because him. you made it. Yeah, you made the GIF. Actually, yes. The worst part is I can't he even. Says it, he says it like it was an act of God. It's not even available on public domain. Like, I can't even find it. He says, no. it, he says it like it was an act of God. Like, oh, well, this just happened to turn into a gift. It's like, right, Chris, like you, oh, because you made it. Because you yeah. made the gift. You put it into the universe. It's <laughs> genius by me, if you ask me. What an asshole. When you look at the hierarchy of this, here's what you have out there in the playoff field. The Kansas City Chiefs, who I think are the alpha. Yeah. They are the alpha team in the NFL at this point. I mean, there aren't anybody else who has what I'd like to refer to as the mistake erasers that Kansas City has. Yeah. From head coach to quarterback to skill and position. Yeah. I mean, when Chris, when things go sideways, some teams have one or two guys. The Bills have a Stephon Diggs. Okay. We have a Cole Beasley. We have a Josh Allen. We've got three guys. And a John Brown. And a John Brown when he's healthy and when he's out here. Who are capable of fixing things or, or turning the tide of a game. Remember the Jets game when John Brown came up with that ridiculous catch? Oh, I remember. Okay. I remember. The Chiefs have five of those guys. <laughs> five of them. Which is why no lead is safe against them, and it's impossible to stop them once they get rolling. Mahomes literally said after the after their win over Atlanta that it was a bad day for their offense, and he takes all the blame. But he literally threw them down the field 78 yards in three plays or four plays. That's absurd because that's the talent level you're talking about on that team. They're terrifying. Then you've got teams like Pittsburgh and Indy. Pittsburgh, they're stumbling towards the playoffs. They beat Indy, albeit with some well-timed flags and some homerism, some shenanigans, if I can call it that. Main referee's wife was from Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I made that up. <laughs> but there's still there's still issues there. Yeah. Indianapolis. My question for you is, is Indy good? I mean, I don't know how to feel. They win some amazing games like they came against the Packers, and then they lose to Pittsburgh. And legitimately got quadrupled up in yardage in the second half by that mediocre Pittsburgh offense. Is Indy a paper tiger, or are they as good as advertised? Uh, Indy... Isn't great against physical teams, um, and they can't get in shootouts. So it's tough. Okay. But the quarterback, you know, Philip Rivers is playing decent football. I'm not particularly concerned about Indy. I would be fine pulling them. Um, but they're a good football team. They're, they, they have a very good defensive line and offensive line. They're, they're built on the lines. Um, they don't really have great weapons. Um, I, I like Jonathan Taylor, but Indy doesn't really scare me. Tennessee. Like a shark attack that you see under this on Discovery Channel, the Titans are just this problem that's yeah. lurking around out there for someone. I hate it. The Titans? I hate it. You concerned it. about them? We're going to talk about that in a second. Cleveland, they might be the most anti-clutch of all the AFC playoff teams. They're very billsy. They're very billsy. <laughs> I mean, but wait a minute. Didn't someone here in this room say that 
they were better than the Buffalo Bills. That was not this year. <laughs> it was not it's not in the Lord's year 2020. Miami. It's hard to feel threatened by a team that has a Lossman Holcomb scenario going on. Where they don't know who their starting quarterback is. They Listen, you can tell me till you're blue in the face if you're Brian Flores. Hey, I trust Tua Tagovailoa. I trust him. Do you? Because when you start trailing, you, twice now you've pulled the hook out, put Fitzpatrick in, and not only have you put him in, but your offense changes dynamically the moment Fitzpatrick gets on the field. They're afraid to cut Tua loose. You're right. His turnover numbers aren't, aren't he keeps them low. And he scored a lot of touchdowns by comparison. But they don't open up the playbook for him the way they do Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's why their offense looks so different when he's on the field. I don't know that you can be scared of a team that doesn't know what their identity is. Would you agree with me on that? Are you talking about, are you talking about Miami? Miami. With Tua, they want to be a run-first team that plays stiff defense. And then they put Ryan Fitzpatrick out there when things get hairy. And the dude starts slinging the ball all over the yard. You guys ready for a Seagram's bet? Like he's a poor man's Brett Favre. You guys ready for a Seagram's bet? Yes. Yes. I mean, you already owe us five. Um, I think the Miami Dolphins will draft a quarterback in the first round. Wow! This Yikes! Woo! I'm, should we, take that. Do we, Cheers! Do we go well? Can we go a step further? Is it going to be with the Houston pick or with their own pick? Or do you think the pick would make the most sense? Houston pick would give them the opportunity to get like Trey Lance. Straight up, I think Justin Fields could fall right into their lap. Yeah, because you know how Ohio State quarterbacks have such a great, uh, you know, Cardell Jones, um, Matt Flynn. um, Matt Flynn went to no, no, who's it? Who's the one who played the uh, no? Who's the one who played the Troy national Smith. title game against Troy Smith? No, no. Who played a, the white kid who played against LSU in the national title game, and then went on to be a career backup in the NFL? White kid, Ohio Glenn State? Dorsey. Glenn Dorsey at LSU. Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey went to Miami. No, Glenn Dorsey, mm-hmm. the defensive end at LSU. The year he was LSU, he was a number one, he was a first round draft pick out of LSU that year. His LSU beat Ohio State. Chris Winkie? Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? All I know. It's the only white quarterback I could think of from Ohio State. Is when they was the last suck. white Ohio State quarterback? Yeah. They suck. Joe Burrow? Joe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe Burrow. Joe and Burrow. guess what? Made his bones at LSU. Turns out he's pretty good. I don't trust any of that, and that's wild. But if they did, I wouldn't be shocked because they're Miami. I mean, they're they seem like they're on the right track, but maybe they get desperate. Maybe they don't. Maybe two a craters in this postseason, and they say, "Look, we can't trust that you're going to develop the way we want you to." So we're going to draft an insurance policy because what, Chris, when's the last time a playoff team got a top three pick? A playoff um, roster. Yeah, they're, also they're in a good spot. They're in a good spot. You, I, I'm actually starting to, even though I already bet you, I'm willing to say that they could have some merit in the sense that you'll never be in this position again. So you might as well take another quarterback because if he pans out, you could trade some one of the two for something. They're assets. I mean, look at what the Patriots have done. They turned Ryan Mallett into a third-round pick. They turned Jimmy Garoppolo into a second. Even if they don't pan out for you specifically, they're still tradable assets. And at the same time, if you you with knowing that your team is good, you need to hedge your bets. 
right? Yeah, it's a Tua Tonga Viola, Josh Rosen, 2.0. Wow. And then Baltimore. Baltimore at number seven. This iteration of the Ravens is interesting to me because their scheme got figured out a little bit this year. Their offensive scheme is not as you guys Are you scared teams. of the Ravens like everyone else is? No, I'm not no. scared of them. What I do think is that it's just you. your defensive coordinator has to have his ducks in a row because what you're doing is you're taking weeks of preparation, wadding it up and throwing it in the garbage from what you've... Because normally from week over week when you play a different offense to a different offense to a different offense, you're minorly tweaking things. You're making certain personnel adjustments, site adjustments... When you play the Ravens... Would you just pull the same game plan out you you, you pulled against the And that's the only reason I'm not worried about them is because you played the Patriots this year and you played the Ravens last year and most of the players who played them last year... I'm not scared of teams that want to run against the Bills. I'm not scared of them. Most of the players who played the Ravens tough last year are still on this roster. That's why I'm not scared. But they're floating around out there and they've scored 20 to 30, 40 points a game for the last month. Yeah. That's a little concerning. Especially the the Cleveland game, where I don't even know how you how to wrap my head around this. They scored forty points going into the two minute warning. They had more than forty points on the on the Cleveland Browns, and Lamar Jackson had seven completions, seven, and they still scored forty. See, I'm not that, that should scare some people if you have a weak coordinator. See, I'm not that afraid of Baltimore because if that's going to be the draw in the first round for us. Uh, all you got to hope for is uh, for what Mother Nature did this past weekend. Okay. And I, I, I think because Baltimore's going to be coming here, and I I wouldn't trust Lamar Jackson in the snow. I'm not even sure he's ever seen snow. So now I've made a hierarchy of these teams, and I'm going to bounce them off Nate. I want your expert opinion. Bonafide contenders. I have the Chiefs, obviously, and the Bills. The Bills have the second-best quarterback in the conference behind Mahomes. The most dynamic group of wide receivers. I mean, Kansas City's receivers are talented to a point. They're just they're just fast, weird they're, guys. That's it. They're fast, and Mahomes is accurate. Their tight end is really what is what they got going on. Yes. No. Our top four wide receivers are better than what Kansas City's bring to the table. From a wide receiver perspective, when you add in Travis Kelsey, that's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a whole other thing, we also have arguably the best pass-protecting offensive line. Right now, Josh Allen is third in the NFL with time to throw. Some of that's his own elusiveness. Some of, it's some of it just, is, yeah. But some of it's just the play of this line. They've been playing pretty well the last couple weeks, too. And the defense is now rounding into form. I think the defense is doing the things they wanted them to do early on. It just took a while to gel, especially on the defensive line. I think that those are the two bona fide contenders in the AFCs or the, the AFC. Pretenders, teams that are fake. I have Pittsburgh. Yep. And I have Cleveland. Now, Pittsburgh, I mean, it's the defense that drives them, right? That and referees who don't understand what OPI is because we saw a bunch of that in their game against Indy. On offense, they're not strong, and their play calling is there's no creativity to it. There's no Brian Dayball in Pittsburgh. No, there's not. There's a Randy Fickner. Ben Roethlisberger is in the bottom of the NFL. He's literally 30, I think, 33rd. Yards per attempt. Air yards per attempt. He's He's not airing it out. Last week, it worked out for him. But on the whole, Roethlisberger this season has not uncorked it down the field. 
Because I don't think he has it. Yeah, I don't think he does either. And then their running game is flat, and their offensive line isn't built to support it. And their defense is not as good as it was earlier in the season. Yes. Well, when they were playing mediocre competition. Yeah. Pittsburgh's well coached. They might be able to win a game any given Sunday, but I mean, what, are you, what are you talking not, about? I hope I. You lost to the Bengals. I want to play. I want to play Pittsburgh. You don't get to tell me you're a good football team when you go into Cincinnati and lose to the Bengals, knowing your season. The problem on the line. is who would who would Pittsburgh win? Who would they beat? Who I'm not sure they, they would beat anybody in the first round. I don't think. I mean, maybe they beat Baltimore. Like, what if what if your scenario was the Bills play? Cleveland and then Pittsburgh in back to back opening games. You're talking about best case Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> that is best case scenario. I love that he loves that. Yeah. yeah I, I, plus, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's all in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and look, Cleveland, the 2020 Browns, stop me if, stop me if I'm wrong. If you disagree, Nate. Raise well, your hand. Nate is an expert on Cleveland. Yeah, the 2020 Browns smell a lot like the 2019 Buffalo Bills. Oh, they are all the 2019 Buffalo. Yes. Bills. Yeah. Listen, three wins out of their ten against playoff teams. <laughs> they're not the worst in the NFL, but they're bad in clutch moments. When yeah. you have to have a play, the Browns will not give it to you. Like even against the Jets, they won't give it to Look, you. That's my point. When you need a play, when the pressure is on, like we were just talking about this Jets earlier, heated, how though, pressure changes your mindset and your approach and your ability to execute. The Browns are a perfect example of that. This would be really good. They fold every time. Like a chair you bought at Dollar General. Chris, this would be a good moment to have on your hot on your hotkeys to have um, Lois Einhorn say, what would you know? About pressure. <laughs> I can't get that. I will have to get that. I mean, you think about that, that, that loss to the Ravens. That right there, they could have knocked out a divisional opponent right from the blast. And they, they, they got you. They couldn't even do it. They got you. The dude literally almost crapped his pants in the process. Beat you. The Browns. Uh, the, <laughs> the Browns. Browns. And say what you want about losing to the Jets. I get the enumerating circumstances, the, the COVID decimated wide receiver core. But the fact is they didn't lose that game because of the wide receiver core. They lost that game because Baker Mayfield fumbled the ball three times. And threw it 53 times. Yeah, which is not good. No, it's a terrible idea. All the wide receivers are gone, so let's have Baker throw it 53 times. And he has multiple games where you just watch him miss wide receivers in must-have moments. They're just anti-clutch. They're a team that might be building something, but they're not there yet. They're, they're, they are the 2019 Buffalo Bills. They're going to make the playoffs, which is great. Hey, round of applause. But you don't execute well enough when it matters to do anything of consequence. Yeah. And then there's the teams that could get hot that scare me. And Baltimore is one of them. I, I shouldn't say scare because we already talked about that, but the unorthodox approach that they take to playing offense your defensive coordinator essentially has to scrap weeks of work where he's just tweaking game plans from one week to the next and come up with a new one on the fly. I I just don't like it. Mismatches and ideal dance partners. And this is where I want to talk to you and I want to defer to your experience, Mr. Gary. Who do you think are our mismatches in the AFC? And who do you think are our, our ideal dance partners are? 
out of everybody in the Give field. me the power run teams. Originally, I was scared of the power run teams. Give me the power run teams. I'll take Tennessee or Cleveland any fucking day. What? Like, give me either of them. Okay, see, this is where we disagree. Tennessee scares the shit out of uh, And they don't scare me. Listen, I'll tell you why. You have this absurd offensive construction. Yeah. You have this running back who runs at the speed of a small truck. And the Bills he's built that way. The Bills straight up shut down. Derrick Henry in their week six matchup, week five matchup. They shut him down. 63 yards they had, he had in that game. Here's what happens to... Okay. And they didn't have Trey White. And you lost embarrassingly. Here's what happens. But hey, that from my purview, based on what I've watched of the Tennessee Titans this year, you do one of two things. You, you die one of two ways, but you have to pick one. You either sell it to stop the run, and that's fine. They'll use A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, who are two very physical wide receivers, to just – they eat you alive for scores and yardage. And you're, any, any DB under 200 pounds really has a hard time covering them for a full 60 minutes. Well, listen, Josh Norman's not going to be on the field, so. <laughs> or, you, or you play the balanced approach, and teams say, you know what? We need to give Tannehill and the wide receivers the same attention as the running back. I mean, you can tell who those teams were when you look at Henry's game log. What, Houston, Jacksonville, Indy, they all tried it. They all tried to play the straight-up game, and he had more than 178 yards rushing and seven combined touchdowns in those games. So you die that way. This team can beat you multiple ways. It's just pick your poison. How Do you do you want it slow or do you want it fast? (laughs) That's, That's it. That scares me. Now, you say that you're not afraid of him, and I'd like to know why. We shut him down once. You think we can do it again? I think we can do it again. I think that the Bills are a far better team now than they were in Week 5 or whenever the last time they played the Tennessee Titans. Not only that, I think the Tennessee Titans are a worse team, and they proved on Sunday night that they, when, they, when they need to go and play in cold weather, they fold. They're not a physical team. They're just not. not. For how physical the running back is... They don't play physical. The running back plays physical, but they're not like an overly physical team. They don't have a physical defense. They don't have downhill linebackers that that punish you with the line of scrimmage. Their defense line's okay, but like, nah. Give me, give me Tennessee. If, if if you had to ask me which team I want today to be the the Bills' first matchup outside of. Indy, give me Tennessee. Wow. I'd take, take either AFC South team. You're a madman. Yeah. I love it. This is chaos. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing before we go, and I think it's important to establish, what are some realistic expectations for the Buffalo Bills this postseason? I mean, the players? The players think that they have a shot at the Super Bowl, which you don't suit up if you don't think you can do that. You don't do that. You don't show up for the job if you don't think you can win a Super Bowl. I mean, yeah, talk to the Jets' offensive line. Analysts think that, the, that, that if the Bills don't make the AFC title game, this season is a disappointment, given the trajectory we're on. And for fans, it's hard to figure out how to feel. I mean, I'm conflicted because my scarred inner fan won't let me buy into a lot of the hype. But this team looks like it could do special things. So, Nate, the question, what do you think is reasonable for fans to think this team is capable of this postseason? I think you should expect me to be doing post-game shows in February. Wow! All right. That's it. You think the whole whole hog. 
Whole hog this thing. I promised yesterday that if the Bills won the AFC Championship game, that I would do all night sports thunder. I would go from the end of post game until 8 a.m. when I gave it to Howard and Jeremy. Or 6 a.m. when I gave it to Howard and Jeremy. <laughs> promised. On air. Do you know how many times I'm going to call into that show if it happens? Good. I will stay there. I will. <laughs> I will. I think if the I think if the Bills like win the AFC and go to the Super Bowl, there should be video of you and Zach Sheldon from Trainwreck. You're cutting his hair while he shaves your mustache. Yeah, no, that's I, the only time. I, and if the Bills lose, I may never shave my mustache. So sorry, sorry, Leanna, who's my girlfriend? <laughs> If you're listening. <laughs> Poor Mrs. Geary. Oh, seriously. Nate, love having you on. It's been a while. I miss the Mooseheads. You know, I just, it's the greatest beer on the planet. I just miss you coming in with things I don't think about. Me being able to because yell at you. Smart. And you, me being able to yell at you and you not taking it personally. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> this no, is amazing. Listen, I mean, I have to deal with Chris's antics on Twitter. Uh, I can certainly <laughs> deal with anything that you throw at me, Drew. He gifts and photoshops everything, so just remember that. Don't put it on the internet no, if you I don't want Chris to capture it and turn it into something embarrassing. <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware of that. What do you have coming up this week? What are you doing over at Cover One? What do you got going on over at WGR? Wednesday night, we will be live at 6 p.m. Um, so I'm not sure when this gets released. Maybe it's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. So today, later on, 6 p.m., uh, we'll be doing our uh, our Cover One uh, Josh Allen breakdown, Sports Talk Saturday, normal, and then a 1 p.m. I'm very welcoming 1 p.m. kickoff where I'll get home at 8 p.m. Uh, and get to watch uh, Sunday Night Football. I'm uh, very much looking forward to all that. Guys... This we're living in rare times. Yes, incredibly rare. Embrace the moment, enjoy it. But we gotta get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Nate Geary. And this has been one of the longest rock power reports ever. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.